0: In this episode, I'm going to teach you how to speak in tongues. Just kidding, not really going to do that. But I am going to talk about the purpose of tongues and the purpose of prophecy. Now, depending on your background, that either got you really excited or sent a chill down your spine. If you grew up in charismatic circles, maybe that was all the rage. If you grew up in non-charismatic circles, people may have avoided talking about the subject of the spiritual gifts. But the purpose of 1 Corinthians 14 is not to provide an exhaustive guide on spiritual gifts, but rather to provide some principles for their proper use. We don't have much patience for the ordinary. We assume that true spirituality is always spontaneous and ecstatic and full of, you know, confetti and pyrotechnics. And it's true that God does dwell with his people and. Where God dwells, anything can happen. We're not deists. We believe that God does miracles. He heals people. Strange things happen when people pray for God to act in their midst. All of that is true. But pride lurks around every corner. And we are tempted to distinguish ourselves because You know, we've got these special flashy gifts, and so we think we're an elite level of Christian. And those ordinary, regular Christians with not-so-flashy gifts, they're a different tier than us. And super-spirituality is a problem today as much as it was in 1st century Corinth. Our sinful flesh gravitates towards spectacle rather than service. And Paul's rebuke is not that we shouldn't use spiritual gifts, even the flashier kinds of gifts like tongues, but rather we should use them for their proper purpose. We should use them not for personal gain or to set ourselves apart, but to serve the body, to build up the church. As with all things in the church, love is the guiding principle. And that is what Paul wants us to understand about these gifts. This is Understanding 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reminds the church that though they have different gifts, they all come from the same spirit. Though they serve in various ways, it is all under one Lord. Love is the oxygen that flows through the veins of the body, giving life to all of its parts. And to elevate one body member over the other is not to display maturity, but childishness. And certain Corinthians have elevated themselves because their spiritual gifts contain just a bit more of the flashiness that our worldly flesh desires. And in response, Paul introduces two principles to correct their use of the spiritual gifts. The first principle is the principle of clarity over spectacle, verses 1 through 25. And the second principle is that of order over chaos, 26 through 40. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, Do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Paul's first principle is to pursue clarity over spectacle, and his test case is the issue of valuing the gift of tongues over other gifts. Tongues manifest themselves in various ways. In Acts chapter 2, believers speak in known human languages. But here, in chapter 14, tongues refers to a non-earthly language, a non-human language. Paul contrasts this gift with prophecy. Prophecy has been defined in many ways, but in this context, it's a revelatory message from God through a speaker that is intelligible to hearers. It can be understood by hearers, and it is the intelligibility of prophecy that makes it superior to tongues. If you speak in tongues, you speak mysteries in the spirit to God, and it builds yourself up. But prophecy speaks words of encouragement and comfort to your brother, and that builds up the church. Now, if love is the guiding principle behind the spiritual gifts and love seeks the good of others, then prophecy, which benefits others because they can understand what you're saying, is to be desired over tongues. doesn't mean that tongues are bad. It just means that if you really seek the good of the church, you will want people to be able to understand what you're saying. And that's why Paul includes this caveat. If you do have a tongue, pray for the power to interpret it. Tongues can bring revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching to a congregation, but only if the congregation can actually understand what you're saying. So if you can't interpret the tongue that you're giving, if you can't make it intelligible to the people that are listening to build them up, then just keep it to yourself. Be silent. Tongues without interpretation is as unintelligible as instruments without distinct notes or a bugle that makes no distinct sound. And it alienates your brother. If he can't understand what you're saying, he's going to be a foreigner to you. And he won't be able to rejoice when you give thanksgiving. He won't be able to say amen when you bless the Lord. He's not going to be able to receive instruction from the Lord. It ends with you if you just have a tongue and you can't interpret it. But the point is, it's not about you. Now, lest his critics, Paul's critics, deem him unspiritual, Paul reveals, shockingly, that he speaks tongues more than anyone. Again, tongues aren't bad. But Mr. Tongues himself refuses to use it to boost up himself. In fact, he says, I'd rather speak five words that you can understand over 10,000 that you don't understand. This is the way of the mature, of the truly spiritual. So Paul's rebuke is not stop using the gifts, stop speaking in tongues, but rather grow up and stop acting like kids about this. You, quote unquote, spiritual heavyweights ought to read your Old Testament's. Remember, God told Isaiah that tongues are a sign of judgment upon unbelievers. So if you speak tongues without interpretation, you're essentially cursing your brother. They become viewed as unbelievers because that's a sign. When they can't understand what you're saying, that's a judgment upon them. Don't do that. Furthermore, if unbelievers come into the congregation, they're just going to dismiss you as another religious cult. They're going to hear all this babbling and assume that you're just like every other pagan. This is a common thing that pagans did. They would go into this ecstatic kind of speech. But Paul wants to differentiate the Christian church from the pagan religion. So instead of tongues, you should desire prophecy. Because not only are your brothers edified by prophecy, but an unbeliever may stumble in, hear the word, repent, and fall on his face in worship. So it has power to convert hearts even. So, get your eyes off of yourself. Your gift is not for you, but for your brother, and maybe even for those outside of the church. So, Paul brings in the Old Testament and says, Look, you don't want to alienate your brother because it's speaking something about his status. He is not an outsider, but your brother. And part of what connects people together is a shared language, is being able to understand what each other is saying. So, pursue clarity over spectacle. The second principle is to pursue order over chaos. That's verses 26 to 40. The early church met in houses with congregational participation. Apparently, each one would bring a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And this is good, but it also requires order, right? There's still church officers. There's still a structure to the worship. And here's the order regarding tongues and prophecy. If you're going to speak in tongues, Let there be two or three at most taking turns giving their tongue, and then, here's the key, interpreting it, right, so that people can understand it. For prophecy, let there be two or three at most taking turns giving their prophecy, and then they need to have others weigh it. This refers probably to the leaders of the congregation, the elders. They hear your prophecy, and then they weigh it to see whether the congregation should follow it or listen to it or or whatever, and Paul says that true prophets can control their gift, right? The gift of prophecy is subject to the prophet. So you can wait your turn. You don't need to get up in the middle of the service and start blabbering. You can control it. God is about peace and not confusion. Now we get to this controversial verse about uh, women being silent in the church. And Paul even says that this is the standard practice of all the churches of the saints. So we have to do some context here. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, permits women to pray and prophesy in church so long as their heads are covered. He also just said that each person brings a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So it it does seem like women are speaking in church. So either this is a verse added later, not originally written by Paul, or Paul contradicts himself, even within the same chapter, Or Paul's call for silence is bound to a particular context. Now, anyone who holds to the authority of Scripture must rule out options 1 and 2. So we have to look at the context. The context of 1 Corinthians 14 suggests that women are to be silent When the elders of the church are engaged in weighing prophecy, that's the immediate context. They're hearing these prophets come in, speaking these revelations, and it's up to the elders to discern whether it's truly a prophecy and whether it's beneficial for the church. So it's shameful for a woman to disrupt this process with questions or clarifications on the prophecy or on the prophet. She should instead wait until she returns home and then ask her questions to her husband about what happened about the, the the weighing of the prophecy. So it seems like this is contextually bound. Now Paul concludes this section by flexing his authority. He essentially says, "You who are truly quote unquote spiritual will accept my words as the command of the Lord." So Christ commissioned his apostles to be his representatives in a unique and non-repeatable way. So you can't pit Christ against Paul. That's like pitting a king against his ambassador, right? Ambassadors speak on behalf and with the authority of their king. Paul, as Christ's apostle, bears Christ's authority in his judgments. He goes as a sent one. That's what apostle means. He goes out and represents the authority of Christ and can speak and judge as if it were Christ himself there. That's this unique apostolic authority. And it's with that apostolic authority that Paul commands the church To earnestly desire to prophesy, to not forbid the speaking of tongues, and to do it all decently and in order. And I would argue that perhaps we in the modern church should do the same. We are to desire prophecy. We are not to forbid tongue speaking, but we are to regulate it according to the word of God and the order that God has placed in the local church, and to do it decently and in order. And if we did that, who knows what kind of incredible things God would do in our midst.